what we have. Uh, let me first uh, say that uh, HRAs, health reimbursement arrangements, are 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 not a, a new a new thing. They've been around for a while, and they actually have somewhat of a history. Um, if you go back into the Internal Revenue Service uh, Code, uh, they were they were first introduced uh, in, in sections 105 and 106, and both of those sections were actually amended uh, in 2006 to allow full tax deductibility of uh, HRA uh, and uh, medical expense reimbursement plans, MERPs, as, as they're also referred to. And there is a difference between an HRA and a MERP, but but only in, in the way the, uh, the IRS treats them for tax purposes. Um, as some of you may know, in 2013, when the, after the Affordable Care Act was passed, it made some changes in HRA regulations, and they required uh, at that time that HRAs had to be tied to a high deductible health plan, or HDHP, and at the same time, they told uh, they indicated that they could not reimburse uh, the cost of individual health insurance uh, plan premiums, which caused some some real controversy in a number of uh, areas. Um, as a result of that controversy, in 2016, uh, there was an amendment made uh, to the law. And it and it, uh, it instituted what was what is referred to as qualified small employer HRA or QSE HRA, and these were established um, by legislation um, in 2016, and it allowed uh, small employers, and we'll talk more about that in a second, to reimburse the cost of individual and uh, family plan uh, premiums. So that took some of the heat off of. Uh, Washington DC to, to uh, allow for individual premiums to be reimbursed. Then in 2020, uh, the Trump administration created two new types of uh, HRAs. One is called an individual coverage uh, HRA or ICHRA, and the other is called an accepted benefit HRA or EBHRA. So we wanna talk a, a little bit about uh, these four different types of HRAs. Um, you see here on, on the chart, I hope you can see that okay. Um, we, we try to do a, a, an overview and a comparison of the four different types of, of HRAs that are now legally uh, permitted. Um, the group HRA, which is the one that we're most familiar with and we'll talk quite a bit about today, um, is it's, it's, again, it meets the requirements of the Affordable Care Act in that you have a high deductible health plan, and um, and that's wrapped with a with an HRA. So we refer to it as a group HRA because these high deductible health plans are available only on a on a group basis. Uh, you have the new HRA, ICHRA, individual coverage HRAs, the QSE HRA, qualified small employer HRA, and the accepted benefit HRA. So uh, again, you see the year that these were permitted to um, go into um, be, uh, be offered as coverage. And uh, there's some interesting things that you may wanna just note here. Um, a group HRA, an ICHRA, and an EBHRA are available to any size of employer. It, it's only the QSE HRA, 
uh, HRA, the Qualified Small Employer HRA, that is only available to uh, non-applicable uh, large employers or small employers that are not qualified as an ALE under uh, the Affordable Care Act. The, uh, 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 so they're not considered an, an, an applicable large employer. They have 50 or less full-time employees. Um, the, uh, the group HRA plan has a requirement that it has to be offered uh, alongside of a, a, a high deductible health plan. So you have to offer uh, a group HRA uh, with a group health plan. That's not true for an ICHRA or a QSE HRA, but for an EBHRA, they have to be offered with a group uh, um, health plan uh, arrangement. Um, then the issue of individual health plan or IHP reimbursement. Again, those are that's not permitted under the group HRA in green that you see. It is permitted under the ICHRA in blue. Uh, it is permitted under the QSE HRA and in what looks to me as, as tan or brown, um, and, but it's not uh, permitted under the EBHRA, and we'll, we'll talk about that um, in a little more detail. Um, the annual benefit maximum limit on an HRA, for the most part, is, are, is determined by the employer under a group HRA arrangement. We'll talk more about that. It is also determined by an employer who's putting out a, an ICHRA. Uh, it's generally a fixed number that that employer wants to reimburse for individual health plans. Under the QSE HRA and the EBHRA plans, there are limits. The annual maximum benefits are limited per IRS uh, rules and, uh, and the IRS indexes those amounts uh, each year, they pronounce them. Uh, when this, uh, in the current year, for a QSE HRA, the most, uh, the maximum annual benefit is $5,150 for a single employee or $10,450 for a family. Uh, for an EBHRA, it's $1,800 uh, for uh, a single person. And again, those amounts that I just read you are um, indexed uh, annually by the IRS. Um, in, in the cases of all of the HRA plans that you see here, uh, the percentage benefit payment um, is determined by the employer. The employer could pay 100% of the benefit or less than 100% of the benefit. That's determined by the employer. Um, as far as covered eligible expenses go, and this is kind of a, an important point. In the case of a group HRA, what that employer wants to cover under the group HRA is determined by the employer. And typically there are two ways that they look at it. Some employers will say, we'll only cover expenses that are covered under the group medical plan that we're offering, that we're tying this HRA to. So, you know, if you have a, a medical plan, say with Kaiser or uh, Blue Shield or somebody like that, um, you know, what that plan covers uh, is also the definition of what's covered under the HRA. And that's pretty typical. Uh, however, you can have a broader definition which meets uh, IRS regulations um, to say we can cover more than uh, what's covered under the medical plan. For example, uh, dental, uh, vision, prescription drug, things like that. So uh, again, the employer can determine what's covered under their group HRA under the individual coverage HRA, 
that is limited by the IRS. The IRS regulations specify what can be covered or reimbursed under a, uh, an, an ICHRA. Um, under a QSEHRA, it's also determined by the employer. And under the EBHRA, those are limited by the IRS. Um, <clears throat> then the question about are they subject uh, to ERISA rules? And, and uh, in the case of all of these, uh, they are um, um, subject to ERISA uh, rules. And the IRS has specific non-discrimination rules uh, that uh, go into effect that are in effect for group HRAs. There are some specific uh, participation rules under uh, ICHRAs, as well as QSEHRAs and EBHRAs. So um, the group HRA has the broader and more simpler uh, discrimination test, while the others have uh, a little bit more tight uh, rules on that. Um, in the case of all, uh, all of the HRAs, except for a QSEHRA, they can be run alongside of a Section 125 plan, and I'm sure that most of you know what, what that is. Um, some other requirements of note uh, to, to be aware of. In the case of a group HRA, the, the, the law states that the employer must fund 100%, uh, pay 100% of the uh, uh, contributions. There are no employee contributions are allowed. However, uh, if the employer decides that they want to set up a MERP, a medical expense reimbursement plan, that can allow for employee contributions. So what we tell people is that the group HRA, which is the more popular of the plans, uh, restricts uh, contributions to be only from the employer, whereas a MERP plan, an MERP, uh, um, will allow for employee contributions if, if uh, the employer so determines. Um, under the ICHRA, the employees have to be covered by an individual health plan or by Medicare in order to participate uh, to get reimbursement for those premiums. Under the QSEHRA, it, it, it is limited only to individual health plan premiums only, and it does not um, reimburse for COBRA, Medicare, or ancillary coverage. Um, that was one of the downsides of putting together a QSEHRA when it was first came out um, by, from the Obama administration is that it's still limited just to um, individual health plans. And on the EBHRA, it's, it's limited only to ancillary expenses and COBRA premiums. It cannot be used for um, group health plan or individual health plan uh, premiums or for Medicare Part B and D reimbursement. So it's, it's limited really to ancillary type expenses and ancillary premiums like a, a dental plan uh, reimbursement. So that, that's just a, a quick and uh, simple overview of the four different types of HRAs that are now permitted. Polling question here, which of the following types of HRA plans are only available to small employers with less than 50 employees? Is it A, group HRA, B, ICHRA, C, QSEHRA, or D, EC? Good. Everybody, everybody's uh, paying attention. This is a good sign. <laughs> All right, we'll keep moving on then. Thank you, Jaron. Um, okay, so as I said earlier, today's webinar is going to focus uh, mostly on the group HRA plans. We are we are looking at uh, a, a separate um, uh, CE course next year 
uh, to deal with the um, uh, ICHRA plans, which are growing in popularity in some uh, areas of the country. But uh, today we're going to spend um, quite a bit of time on the group HRA plans and, and why, why they are as popular as they are. Uh, as I said before, uh, a group HRA plan is a high deductible health plan that is wrapped uh, with a health reimbursement arrangement. Um, instead of you know calling out HDHPHRA, which is kind of lengthy, we just call them group HRAs. Um, some uh, brokers um, uh, will refer to them as wrap plans, and that's uh, that's accurate as well. But we call them group HRAs. Uh, as I said before, these operate under the IRS rules that were uh, re released in 2013 after the passage of the Affordable Care Act. They are the most popular with um, small and mid-sized employers today. And uh, we'll, we'll see some uh, uh, example of that in a minute. Uh, they're the most flexible in terms of plan design and funding. Um, you know, unlike, um, you know, an HSA, a health savings account, which has some very specific limitations and rules about how it can be funded and how much you can put in, what, you know, the plan designs, the HRAs, the group HRAs are very flexible. And that's why I think they're so popular because each employer can, can literally choose a different type of group HRA based on their specific uh, employee needs. Uh, the other thing that we um, see in group HRAs is that an increasing interest in the use of what we call employer excess loss insurance or EEL uh, in, an, in a group HRA uh, plan. Uh, this is a product that was developed by my 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 uh, prior firm, Schepler and Fear, and uh, it's exclusively marketed through Dickerson uh, General Agency with our TPA partners, and it's insured through London. Um, it, it provides employers with HRA plans with a predictable cap on their HRA paid claims. It, it ends up costing pennies on the dollar uh, for the, uh, the, the the benefits purchased. So. Uh, it's it's an option, and we'll talk more about that in a second. Um, so there are there are three key things that I think you need to remember about these group HRA plans. Again, first, it's a it is a qualified plan under federal law, ERISA, and it's fully tax deductible. And while the premium paid for the high deductible health plan can be paid by both the employer and the employee, which is pretty typical today. The cost of the HRA, according to the IRS, has to be paid 100% by the employer. So, you know, you think of it this way, you're, you're buying a high deductible health plan from XYZ insurance company or XYZ health plan, and you're combining that with a, a health reimbursement arrangement plan. So it's like two plans that are wrapped together and the employer uh, gets its full tax deductibility by the employer for uh, the contributions or costs that they pay. The high deductible health plan uh, that is purchased has to be what we call a minimum value plan under the Affordable Care Act. So it has to have an actuarial value of at least 60%. And that would be, in, in today's vernacular, that would be a bronze plan. But an HRA can be wrapped around any type of insurance plan, not just a high deductible health plan. And there are some uh, employers out there who have put together an, uh, an HRA and they wrap it around, uh, say, a gold or a, or a, a silver plan or, or even a platinum plan. Uh, there's, no, there's no limit on that. 
but um, but whatever the high deductible plan is, it has to have a minimum value uh, under the law, and that's uh, that's the result of the new rules that were passed in 2013. And then uh, again, because it's subject to ERISA, the group HRA plan cannot discriminate. It has to be available to all eligible employees. Now, an eligible employee typically is an employee who works full time, who is working, um, at, at, you know, scheduled to work 30 hours a week or more. It can be extended to part-time employees, but it can't discriminate. You can't just offer it to some part-timers and, and, and not to others. So they have these non-discrimination rules. The HRA plan has to file an annual form 5500 with the federal government and the high deductible health plan uh, is subject to state, state insurance regulation, including premium tax and contribution and participation requirements. So, you know, you're, you're buying a, a high deductible fully insured plan from, you know, a, a reputable insurance company or, or health plan, and uh, they're following the state rules that that plan has to follow when the HRA plan that's being wrapped with it has to follow the federal rules, uh, specifically uh, ERISA. So um, we, I categorize uh, the group HRA plans under three different types, okay? We, we refer to one as a front-loaded HRA. This is a first dollar benefit, which pays 100% of, of any HRA benefits before any deductible or coinsurance would apply. It is most popular but it can encourage higher utilization of the plan. When you're paying you know, the first $5,000 of expenses, uh, people might go out and just you know, uh, really uh, use their plan um, in a much higher way than, than they might uh, if they have a deductible or copay. Um, but the good news is, is that it's the lowest administrative cost of the three that we're describing. The, the cost to administer a front-loaded HRA is much less expensive than uh, the other two. The, the second one is, is what we call a coinsurance or a shared HRA. It's, it's also a first dollar benefit, but it would pay less than 100% of the HRA benefits before a deductible would apply. So some uh, coinsurance uh, plans, uh, maybe they pay uh, 80% and uh, the, insure, uh, the, the individual uh, member pays 20%, uh, you know, a coinsurance payment. It's becoming more popular as employees uh, have skin in the game as to the cost of services, which can temper utilization. You know, if you go out and, and you have a, a first dollar benefit plan, you go to buy a prescription drug and you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna get, um, uh, I'm, I'm gonna get a, uh, uh, you know, a, a prescription drug that costs, you know, $150, and yet there is a less expensive generic equivalent in the brand name, um, you, you may not think about that because that plan is paying 100%, whether it's, whether it's a brand name or whether it's a, um, a um, generic. So in, in this particular case, when you've got a coinsurance or shared HRA, uh, you, you're, you're gonna pay a, a percentage of that. And, and that, has a, that has a positive effect on utilization. Uh, it is a higher administrative cost to administer a shared uh, HRA because um, the, the administrator that is paying the claims uh, has to literally process the claim in a more traditional way. 
as opposed to using a, a traditional debit card. And then finally, there's a deductible bridge HRA, and there are other names that they might use for this, but I like to describe it as it's working like a, a miniature major medical plan, which requires a deductible and coinsurance payment before any HRA benefits are paid. Uh, typically, this has lower utilization when you have deductibles that are required to be paid up front, but it's got the highest administrative cost of the three types since the claims are processed under a deductible bridge very similar to a major medical plan, which, which requires uh, the, the use of a, a licensed bonded third-party administrator to do this. So what I've, what I've done here is, this is an example of how a front-loaded HRA would work. And this, in this example, the employer is, is going to provide a $5,000 front-loaded um, HRA benefit that is being wrapped around a high-deductible health plan. And that high deductible health plan has a $5,000 deductible. It then pays 60-40 coinsurance and has a maximum out of pocket limit to the insured of $6,200. So in, in doing that, this is the way the claims look. If you, if you look at uh, the claims over here on the, uh, on, on, the, on the left, you see the total claims paid for the year in, in, in red, in blue, and then in green. So, for the first $5,000 of claims, um, the, the claims paid by the insurer health plan are 0%. They're not paying any because it's a $5,000 deductible uh, health plan. But the claims paid by the employer, they're paying 100% of that first $5,000. And the claims paid by the employee is 0% because the employer's paying them all. So that first $5,000, you see the employer's HRA is paying for all of the expenses in this example. Then when the claims go over 5,000 for the year here in blue, the, the health plan then kicks in and that health plan is paying 60% of the next $3,000 of claims. The employer's uh, HRA plan is not paying anything because it's paid all of its benefits up front, but the uh, individual insure, uh, insured, the, the, the uh, employee, they're paying uh, a coinsurance payment of 40% of the next 3,000. So you've got the insurance company paying 60% and the individual uh, in, uh, employees paying 40%. And then once the total claims for the year uh, reach and exceed $8,000, the insurance company's paying 100% thereafter and neither the employer or the employee are paying anything from that point. So this is the simplest type of, of plan because it's it's paid up front and you know people like this because it's it's simple. Now the next plan is the coinsurance HRA. And again, when you look at that first five thousand dollars of claims, the insurance company is still they're not paying anything in that first five thousand. But in this case, the employer is paying eighty percent of the first five thousand, and then the employee is paying twenty percent of that 5,000. Um, so they're, they've got, as I call it, some skin in the game here. They're paying 20% of those, of the first 5,000 of expenses, which is a potential out-of-pocket for them of $1,000. Uh, when the coinsurance kicks in as before, you've got the insurance company paying 60%. The employer at that point is paying 20% of the next 3,000 uh, through the HRA and the employee is, is paying 20% of the next 3,000. And then again, when the claims 
reach 8,000 for the year, the insurance company's paying it all, and neither the employer, employer's HRA or the employee are paying anything more for the rest of the year. So that's what, that's what it looks like for a coinsurance or shared HRA. And then the third one, as I said before, the deductible or bridge, it kind of works like a, a, a little miniature uh, medical program. Again, the insurance company, they're, they're not paying anything of the first 5,000, but uh, as far as the employer is concerned, they're imposing a $500 deductible on the employee. So the employee is paying 100% of the first $500 of expenses, then they're paying 20% of the next 4,500, whereas the employer's HRA plan, they're not paying anything of the first 500, uh, then they're paying 80% of the next 4,500. And then again, when the claims uh, exceed 5,000 for the year, you've got the insurance company paying 60%. The employer is still paying, uh, the employer is now paying only 20 and the employee is paying 20% as uh, was done before. And again, when the total claims reach 8,000 for the year, the employer um, and the employee are not paying any and the insurance carrier has it all. Now, if that's not confusing enough, I, I don't know what is, but I'm, I'm just trying to give you a feel for, you know, people will sit down in an enrollment meeting and they'll say, now, how does this work? And so you show them a chart like this and say, this is what your plan is gonna pay of the first, you know, X dollar of claims in the, in the year is how much you pay and how much the HRA pays, et cetera. So that's, um, that, hopefully that's, that's helpful. Um, then let's, let's talk about what I call the cost components are in a typical group HRA plan. Um, <clears throat> the biggest part of, of the cost components are the premium that you pay for a high deductible health plan. And we'll, you'll see an example of this in a minute. Then the actual HRA claims here in green are, are the second largest part. And then the, uh, the administration of the plan in blue is the least expensive uh, com cost component of the entire HRA plan. And you'll see some specific numbers on that here in a second. Again, when we're talking about premium um, and, and, and we look at the cost of buying a high deductible health plan or HDHP, it can be substantially less than a traditional plan. Uh, here in California, the small group rates since 2014, uh, the carriers have all had to uh, use the new uh, ACA rating system. And so what we've seen for about the last nine years is that the rate difference between say a platinum and a gold benefit plan and a silver and bronze benefit plan ranges somewhere between 20 and 45% depending on the carrier and the geographic area and their plan design. But we're, we're still seeing a nice uh, uh, savings there in premium. On the large group side, and that's in the small group market, and, but in the large group market, again, depending on the carrier, we're still seeing anywhere between a 20 to 35% price difference between gold and bronze benefit plans. So, you know, when somebody says, well, you know, how much am I gonna pay for a gold plan and, and what's that cost gonna be? And, how much would I say by buying a bronze plan? Is it enough savings to justify putting in an, uh, an HRA? And, and you're gonna see a specific example of that in a minute. The typical bronze benefit works well, has a high deductible health plan, and it prices out competitively, and, and you'll see that uh, in a minute. And just as some carriers have specific high deductible plans to be used for an HSA, some carriers also have specific high deductible plans that can be used for an HRA. 
Now that's not true with all carriers. Some carriers they don't they don't care what plan you buy. If you want to buy a high deductible health plan with a five thousand dollar deductible, you can you can do what you want. There are, as you know, some specific plans that have to be used for an HSA, but you don't have those same requirements for an HRA. So you'll you'll see a lot of variation by the carriers about what they'll permit to to have done. Um, the other cost component in the premium is what I would call the additional cost if the employer elects to buy employer excess loss insurance. And that coverage is fairly minimal compared to the entire cost of the plan. And, and I'm gonna give you an example of that here in, a, in just a minute. Um, the, the other cost component, uh, another cost component is the cost of plan administration, which is the smallest part of, of the, uh, the plan cost. Uh, because uh, an HRA is qualified, it's a qualified plan under federal law, as I said before, it's subject to non-discrimination uh, rules and the HIPAA and uh, ERISA rules. So those, those things are, you know, important that you're doing that right. For that reason, <coughs> pardon me, self-administration might be an option, but it's not necessarily recommended due to the regulatory complexity of, of what's going on here. So we, we really advise people, yeah, you can put in an HRA and you can administer it yourself, but just remember there are non-discrimination and, and uh, privacy rules and, and the rules under ERISA that you have to follow and, and you need to be careful about that. Uh, more than 90% of HRA plans that I'm aware of are administered by a licensed bonded third-party administrator. Uh, and that administrator has a number of, of functions that they have to provide. Briefly, uh, they have to process reimbursement claims or debit card payments, which we'll talk about a little, a little bit later. Uh, they have to confirm eligibility of benefits when a provider calls in and says, hey, I got John Doe here and he's showing me a, an HRA uh, ID card and I just need to confirm that he's eligible for these benefits. Uh, the TPA has to provide both claim and financial reports to the plan sponsor and participants. And this is a big deal because as you know, currently if you're a small employer, especially, uh, you don't get claims reports from the carriers, okay? They, they, they don't provide a, a lot of that in the small group market. In the HRA market, uh, the, the TPA will provide claim and financial report, you know, accounting reports to the plan sponsor. You can see what money's been paid into the HRA and what's been paid out. and what the individual claims on on people look you know look like how much what their claims experience is um, the TPA uh, should be filing reimbursement claims with the optional employer excess loss insurance company in London um, we're, we're involved with that uh, the TPA would be filing annual reports with the government uh, to the Department of Labor the IRS etc uh, they they should be producing the plan documents including the summary plan description and the summary of benefits and coverage which are now you know all required under under federal law and typically there are two types of tpas out there there are specialty tpas who only administer hras and fsas and cobra and hsas or ancillary plans okay they're they're not a what i call a full service a tpa but they're very limited to doing those types of benefit plans then there are full service tpas who also administer uh, self-insured uh, self health plans that you, you know with stop loss and all that and, and these are the uh, the larger uh, TPA firms that that really um, have invested in these uh, specialty claim systems. 
having a TPA provides a firewall between the employer and the employees, when, especially when you're handling personal health information and other plan information. Employers don't like to be in the middle of that. They like to have a firewall there so that you know the the employees can feel like their information is is protected and and the employer isn't looking at things that they don't want to be looking at you know what i mean and so using the right tpa can make a huge difference in employee satisfaction because experience really does matter and and using the right tpa uh can can really make uh an hra plan work better than uh, could be done you know by the employer internally and as I said, the, the overall cost of administration is the smallest part of, of, of the plan. Then there's the claims component. And, and in that pie chart that I showed you, that's about, you know, one third, one, you know, 40 percent or, or so of the total cost of the plan. The number of paid claims that are incurred and paid will vary by the benefit schedule. And, and as I said earlier, HRAs are the most flexible plans available today. You can you can design it just about any way you want. Uh, HRA benefit maximums typically range from $1,000 to $10,000 per employee or per family. So uh, there's a lot of flexibility there, and that will have an impact on the, on the total claims payment. The benefit payments can range from 50 to 100% for front-loaded or co-insurance shared HRA plans, um, and that will have an impact on the claims utilization, as we talked about before. And the covered benefits can be limited to conform with uh, the, the high deductible medical plan or to IRS code section 213D. Let me just explain the difference. Um, when, if you go out and you buy a, a, a high deductible health plan, say from uh, Anthem Blue Cross, okay, um, they obviously have a, a plan that's been filed with the state and it lists what the covered expenses are under the plan and it generally lists what the excluded items are, what they don't cover, or what, uh, what are limited items in a plan. And, and so you can set up your HRA to do those same exact things. You can say, we're gonna cover the same expenses that uh, Anthem Blue Cross covers in the high deductible medical plan that we're buying from them. So it mirrors that, and that's pretty typical, okay? But it, you can also set up an, uh, uh, an HRA to cover all expenses that are listed under IRS Code Section 213D, which, which are not only include medical, but also dental and vision and prescription drug and, and a host of other things that may not necessarily be covered under a, a high deductible group medical plan. So you've got a lot of flexibility there about how you want your plan to be uh, um, used and, and uh, covered. Uh, IRS requires documentation of claims, including providing receipts from the providers for payments that are made or providing a copy of the carrier EOB statement. Um, so I, I submit a claim and the EOB comes back and it says you've met uh, uh, $250 of your $1,000 deductible uh, plan and I can use that EOB as documentation for my $250 expense that I paid for out of my, uh, using my debit card, for example. About 50% of claims are, are now paid through traditional reimbursement where they would uh, pay the claims themselves and then, and then maybe send a copy of that claim to the administrator using a, a smartphone or, or, you know, faxing it in or, or uh, scanning it and sending it in. 
what I call traditional reimbursement. So I, I wait to get reimbursed uh, while about 50% are now using a smart debit card where they, they're issued a, a debit card that's preloaded with the uh, annual benefit maximum on it. And when they've used all that money up, there's no more. Uh, but that's convenient because the employee doesn't have to pay for the stuff uh, up front. The employer is doing it through the, the debit card. So, um, and we're, and I, that's probably, the debit card is probably increasing in popularity. Let's go to polling question number three. Which of the following are not a primary cost component of a group HRA plan? Is it A, premium for HDHP or excess loss? Is it B, administration fees? Is it C, incurred slash paid claims? Or is it D, broker com broker commission? That is correct. Thank you very much. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on here. Um, so when we're looking at cost considerations on a group HRA plan, you know the the first thing is you know what's the cost difference between a traditional plan, say a a platinum or gold plan that provides you know very good benefits versus a high deductible health plan. Um, then what's the cost of administration? And then what are the costs of, of our paid claims under our plan documents? So I, I've come up basically with, with four scenarios and I'm gonna try to go through these uh, quickly um, and, and, and be accurate as I can. And under this first, um, here's, a, here's a group of 35 employees with 16 dependent units. Uh, located in, uh, it looks like the downtown Los Angeles area, 90012. Uh, they are they are offering a, uh, a kind of a platinum gold benefit level. Uh, it's probably an 88% uh, uh, actuarial value. It has a $500 deductible, 80% uh, uh, coinsurance, and it has a $4,000 maximum out-of-pocket limit. Uh, their annual fully insured premium payment uh, for both employees and dependents is $358,680. So it's, uh, it's, it's not inexpensive. Um, uh, there are two scenarios that, that they would consider. Scenario one here in purple, I think, um, the employer buys a bronze benefit plan with a $4,000 deductible. It pays 60% coinsurance and it has a maximum uh, out-of-pocket limit of $6,500 per person. The premium, the annual premium for that bronze plan comes in at $215,208. The employer proposes to provide a $4,000 annual HRA benefit maximum per person. And based on the fact that he's got uh, 51 uh, bodies, he's got 35 employees and an additional 16 dependent units. So his maximum liability is 4,000 times 51 or $204,000 a year. That's his maximum claims liability under the HRA plan. <clears throat> uh, the employer will pay about 2,000, a little over $12,000 uh, a year for uh, administrative costs for uh, get the ID cards, get the plan documents, get the uh, claims processing, get the debit card, et cetera. Uh, they're not purchasing employer excess loss. So assuming that they have maximum uh, annual claims of 204,000, 
that means that the employer would pay out 431 grand a year, which is $72,618 a year more, uh, or about 20% more than what they're paying now. And that scenario isn't very attractive. It doesn't make the case for, for doing this. So then why would the employer do it? Well, the employer would do it because scenario two is really more realistic. Again, you're paying the same $215,000 for the high deductible health plan. You're providing the same uh, benefit exposure, uh, $204,000. You're paying $12,000 a year for administration. But the projected claims based on this group's demographics and plan design will only come out to about $61,000. In other words, um, you're not going to have that maximum exposure. And, and to have the maximum exposure would assume that all 51 people incur well over $10,000 of claims a year in order to reach that $4,000 benefit maximum. That just doesn't happen. It would be the sickest group on the planet that I know of. But, but based on data that, that we've been collecting over the years, we project that their actual paid claims will come in at about $61,000 a year. Uh, that means that their total overall cost will be $288,000, which is about $70,000 in savings or about 19.6%. So the issue that employers have to think about here is, well, where will my projected claims come in? I mean, I'm going to pay you know, this much money up here for a high deductible bronze plan, and I'm going to pay for administrative costs. But you know, how can I be sure that my claims are going to come in at 61 grand? What if, what if they're higher than this? What if they're lower than this? And so that leads to a discussion about the need for uh, employer excess loss insurance. And as I said before, this is a type of insurance that we developed for HRAs several years ago. Um, and it, it effectively says to the employer, look, Mr. Employer, you, you may have $204,000 of potential claims liability, but this, this uh, employer excess loss insurance will guarantee your claims maximum to be $102,000 or 50% of the $204,000. And Mr. Employer, uh, to, to be able to sleep at night and, and know that your, your maximum claims will be capped at $102,000 instead of $204,000, you're going to pay $21,903 a year in premium and taxes and that comes out to about $52.15 per employee per month, which is you know, the cost of a dental plan, if you would. So uh, this, uh, the employer can purchase the employer excess loss insurance. They, it's not a long-term commitment. They can buy it for a year and then decide, I don't need it anymore. It's very simple to rate and, and underwrite an issue. Uh, by the way, it pays the agents a 10% commission and it's written on what we call a 12-month incurred and 15-month paid contract, meaning it allows for some run-out liability on the part of the HRA plan, which is fairly typical. So now that leads to scenarios three and four, where uh, again the employer is, is, you know, considering his current plan is 358 grand, but under scenario three, he purchases uh, employer excess loss insurance, which now limits his claims liability to $102,000. And that means his overall costs, worst case scenario, uh, is now 351,000, which isn't a lot of savings, but it, but it still says to the employer, if worst case scenario is, you're, gonna, you're not gonna pay much more than what you were paying 
uh, currently. And then you look at scenario four, which is, well, what are the projected claims? Well, the projected claims didn't change. They're still $61,000, but the employer goes ahead and, and purchases the excess loss because they, they, want to, to, they want to be able to sleep at night. So in, in that scenario, their total overall costs come in at 310,000, which is $48,000 less than what they're paying now, about 13.5% savings. So again, you know, if you've got an employer who's very nervous about this, you know, I don't have claims experience now, how can you tell me what my claims are gonna be? Then I would say then consider purchasing uh, excess loss insurance for at least a year or two. Uh, buy that, we'll have claims experience then, and you'll see that our projected numbers of 61,000 are, are pretty accurate. And we're, we are pretty good at this, okay? And, uh, and, and then they may drop their excess loss coverage after two or three years um, and, and move forward because they're now comfortable that our projected claims are paying uh, the way that we had predicted. So, um, so what, are the, what are the pros and cons of a, of a, of a group HRA? Well, the pros are, are this, as long as there's, there continues to be a price difference of between 20 and 40% between a, a platinum and a gold plan and a silver and bronze plan, uh, that's, a, that's a good reason for looking into this. Uh, prior to the ACA, we, we weren't seeing that kind of a savings. Um, and there were a lot of political reasons for that. But, but now that the ACA has kind of forced all the carriers to adopt a common rating system, especially in the small group market, that, that price difference of 20 to 40% uh, is holding up after nine years of, of experience. Um, Another positive reason to do this, the provider networks seem to be consistent between the metal tiers in that the same full and narrow network providers are available. So, you know, if, if you're on a, a plan with Anthem Blue Cross and you're using their full PPO provider network, uh, that's not going to change if you go and, and purchase a high deductible health plan because that same provider network would be available. And that would be true for Kaiser or Aetna or or any of the other carriers, your provider networks are, are, are no longer an, an issue because you'd use the same provider network you've been using under your traditional plan. As I said before, HRA plan funding is flexible. An employer can fully fund their HRA and th that means they, they, they put amount of money into their HRA account each month. They build up a claim surplus and at year's end, that money belongs to the employer and they could use it to offset um, future rate increases and, and what have you. And, and we see a lot of employers doing that. Uh, or the employer can use the pay-as-you-go method. So they have improved cash flow. They only pay for the HRA claims that are actually presented for payment. They don't pre-fund it like, uh, like a lot of level funded plans do. They, they pay as you go. And that, uh, that means improved cash flow. Um, so what are the cons? What, why wouldn't you do this? Well, as I showed you earlier, the maximum or worst case cost of a group HRA may actually exceed the cost of a traditional fully insured plan unless they purchase some employer uh, uh, excess loss insurance. But um, if you've got a con really conservative employer who, who doesn't wanna take chances and only sees the, the worst case, maybe he knows something about the, the health condition of his people or that you know, is just not um, you know, comfortable with that, then that would be a reason to stay where you're at and let the insurance company pay it all and pay their premiums. Um, because the Heidi Duckwell Health Plan and the HRA are separate parts of the plan, 
a downside of this is that the employee ends up getting two ID cards. And so they have to use, learn to use those cards together. When they go into the doctor's office, they're going to they're going to present their normal uh, ID card from their health plan. Say I'm say I'm on Kaiser, you know, and uh, and I present my ID card, and it's going to say, Hey, I'm Dave Fear, and I'm enrolled in a five thousand dollar deductible plan with Kaiser. And Kaiser, of course, says that's great. I'm glad you're here. Now, um, you, you know, here's an office visit charge of two hundred bucks, and you're going to need to pay that. And so then I hand them my HRA uh, debit card and I say, I want that paid using this. So I, I've got two different cards. Uh, you might say, well, instead of using my own personal debit card, uh, I'll, I'll use the HRA debit card. So that that con might turn into a pro. But but uh, again, those are some of the reasons, you know, some, some employers, they don't like the idea of, you know, everybody has to have two uh, ID cards to do this. I get that. Let me talk quickly about broker compensation. I know we're coming up on an hour here, so I want to I want to hurry along. The carriers uh, today, uh, nearly all carriers are now offering high deductible health plans that can be used for an HRA or an HSA plan. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, the IR, the uh, the ACA kind of forced them to adopt those plans, so that's good. Uh, the HRA will work with with an HMO and uh, or an EPO, a PPO, or an indemnity plan. That's good, and um, it'll work in the small, mid-sized, and large employer product markets. the 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 broker receives the standard commission uh, through Dickerson. In other words, as a general agency, we we would uh, see that you're you're being paid your full commission, the standard commission that that you earn. Uh, yes, there is a reduction of commission when you buy a, a premium that's lower than what you had been in the past, but you're still receiving the, the standard commission on that product. The administrators that we deal with, and we've negotiated some preferred pricing with several uh, HRA administrators, uh, and, and those administrators offer both traditional reimbursement or debit card claim payment arrangements, and most of the administrators will pay the brokers a fee ranging from zero to $25 per employee per month to kind of offset any reduction of commission that they might have had uh, when they when they go to a, a bronze high deductible health plan. So there is money to be made, paid to the broker uh, in the form of a, of a fee uh, per employee per month, and the administrator does that. And then I think I mentioned earlier that the employer excess loss product, uh, which of course it guarantees the maximum HRA claims exposure, it's simplified issue. There's no underwriting. It's written through the surplus lines market in London, through a, a, a surplus lines broker that we work with, and it pays the brokers a 10% uh, commission. So there is money to be made selling uh, HRA plans uh, from the carriers, from the administrators, and from the employer excess loss insurance market. Um, kind of summarize things. Again, this is just, a, again, a comparison of the, of the four different types of HRA plans that are now permitted, the group, the uh, uh, individual coverage, the qualified small employer, and the uh, accepted benefits uh, HRA plans. And, and again, it's, uh, you know, I, I use this and I refer to this all the time as, as a way to kind of make sure that you understand what you can and can't do here. Um, so those are the, I think, the, the key comparison points that, that you want to uh, continue to be aware of. Um, and then, and then let me kind of summarize uh, things and, and bring this to a conclusion. 
again, you know, the HR rules have changed and it's given employers more choices in the market. They now have a choice of four different types of HRAs as of 2020. And while the new uh, ICHRAs may appear attractive, they do end up putting employees into the individual market, which may be unstable in some areas of the country, but are good to use for class carve-out business. In other words, I, we see it, employers saying, look, we're, we're still gonna offer a group, a group plan to our full-time people, but to our, our part-time or our seasonal or to our temporary employees, uh, we're going to put in an ICHRA and reimburse them for uh, a portion of their individual um, uh, health insurance premium uh, coverage. And I, and I think that is a, is a good deal. So we call that a kind of a class carve-out uh, solution there. Uh, group HRAs continue to price well in lieu of the ACA rating rules. As I mentioned, for small employers, you've got a savings between platinum and bronze plans anywhere from 20 to 45%. And that, that has held up uh, fairly uh, well over the last uh, seven or eight years. Uh, group R HRAs have outperformed traditional plans over the last 10 years um, in, in the sense that you, you, get, uh, you don't get the rate in increase uh, costs that you see on traditional plans, and the employers are retaining their surplus dollars to offset any rate increases they do get. So we've got clients that have been doing this for better part of 15 years, and, uh, and their, their costs have really kind of leveled out. I'm, I'm not saying that they're not going to get a rate increase on their high deductible health plan, and because they will. Uh, however, when you when you look at the savings that they're accruing in their HRA plan, and you and you offset that against the rate increase on a high deductible plan, the overall impact is is less. Uh, it's less than what you've seen in the past. The employers can be guaranteed a maximum cost of their group HRA plan by purchasing employer excess loss insurance. We believe that that's appropriate to do for the first two or three years till they have good claims experience in hand. And in most cases, the employer can remain with their current insurer health plan and simply change coverage from that traditional platinum or gold plan to a high deductible plan that can be wrapped with an HRA. So they don't have to uproot people and choose new providers and stuff like that. Uh, we have we have a lot of uh, people that say, look, I've got this plan with Kaiser, and I and I offer uh, the Blue Shield alongside of it. And you know, can I just go into their high deductible plans? But my people don't have to choose new providers. And the answer is yes, you, you don't have to. So that's um, that's good. Let's go to our last uh, polling question. Yeah. So last question here, kind of a softball. Please rate the value of this approved CE course. We do value your guys' feedback, so it's continue. Like as Dave said, if you have questions on the content, please reach out to him, and he'll be happy to assist you. But in regards to the CE credits, please reach out to me, and I can get that situated for you. Super. So, other than that, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Have a great day.